And welcome, That With Jimmy, the podcast remembers the LGBTQ plus community share their coming out stories with you because the goal of uh, this podcast is to let you know whether you're in the closet or out, you're not alone. And this week we have a very special guest because Miguel Fuller is out with Jimmy. My name is Miguel Fuller. I do a morning show in Tampa, Florida on Hot 101.5 and I am black and gay. (laughs) Miguel, who was the first person you looked at? and you spoke out loud that you were gay? It was my counselor my sophomore year of high school, Miss Bleacher. Because hmm. um, of course I was very dramatic and one day at lunch, because uh, I always describe when you're in the closet where it's sort of like every thought that you have is around, do, will people figure out if I'm gay? Yes. So, It was like, am I raising my hand in class too gay? Am I riding too gay? Am I walking too gay? And it was just, it was such a huge burden on my shoulders that literally one day after lunch, I just fell out in the hallway and just started crying. And my friends were like, what is wrong with you? And I was just like, I couldn't talk. So I went, they took me to the guidance counselor's office and I sat in her office and she was like, are you okay? What's wrong? And I was quiet for like two or three minutes. And then I finally said, I can't say it, but I'm like Reagan. And that was a kid that had just come out our freshman year of high school. And he was like the known homosexual in class. And I couldn't even say that I was gay. All I could say was, I'm like Reagan. And she was like, okay, well, how do you feel about that? And then from there, we uh, continued talking about it. But that was the first time I actually spoke that out loud. How? free did you feel when you said it out loud? It was as if I had had a a mini McMansion on my shoulders and someone had just lifted it off. And even just telling one person, it just felt like I can finally breathe. I so understand that. And of course you did that in high school. I was 35 when I was outed, but that's a different story for here and there. Um, (laughs) And, but don't you look at Reagan with such respect now? And God. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The fact that in 1999, when we were freshmen in conservative North Atlanta, he was out and proud. I mean, I look at that right now, you know, 20 years later, and I'm like, what guts did this boy have to live his life openly and authentically as a ninth grader in high school in Georgia? How was Reagan treated? Um, you know, thankfully, it wasn't horrible, because I don't know why in some people in my high school class, we sort of now years later look back, for some reason, the the class of 2003, we got got along. And so I only had a couple of people that like when I came out or just because before I came out to everybody, um, who would like call me gay and call me names, but I was very lucky, and so was Reagan, that we were treated with respect. It's funny um, because you do get those um, people that will come to you all these years later, and a lot of times the most homophobic people are are um, calling to tell you, uh, "Hey, I'm sorry. Let's just put it this way: I wear Andrew Christian underwear now," and you're like. Oh. <laughs> Um, and then of course you say back oh, are you a trophy boy uh, anyway. but did you have any bullying in high school 
Uh, I didn't. Not any uh, major bullying. Like, there were guys that would, you know, uh, the jocks that would say things like, oh, look, Miguel's gay, look, Miguel's gay. And I would always diffuse the situation with uh, humor um, because, look, we both ended up on the radio. Surprise, surprise. I understand. Uh, um, But I was very, very lucky that when I came out, like, my mom was okay with me. Um, I didn't get any like crazy bullying. And like when I, I always feel like the sort of uh, apex of my coming out story was when I ran for a senior class president and it was the end of the junior year. And I had finally started to like come out to my friends and tell them I'm gay, I'm gay. And I don't remember my entire campaign speech, but I remember saying something to the effect of, you know, be yourself, be honest, be open. I've been the person that's been running every year since we were freshmen in uh, here at Roswell High School. And I'm now authentically myself and I want to make sure that we have a great senior year. And it was sort of like, hey, y'all, I'm gay. And I remember there were five of us running and there was like two or three guys that were like super popular. And I was like, at least I'll be vice president. I'm clearly not going to win. Well, then I won. And I don't know what it was, but when they announced that over the uh, intercom that day, the next day, and they said, Miguel Fuller, senior class president, it was like this validation that like, I had shared myself, I was open, I was honest, I was going to be okay. And so I had a very lucky experience in high school when it, when it came to being gay and out and open. Do you feel, uh, now I came out later as we've talked about, but do you ever feel any guilt, almost survivor's guilt? Because I hear some people's stories, especially here on the podcast. And um, a lot of people will tell me they don't want to be on because they, they were lucky and they didn't have bad things happen. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, we need to hear those stories so other people feel confident to come out. Like it's, it's so much better to breathe the fresh air. It's mm. so much better to to not hide and not have that constant worry um, um, that you're going to be outed. But do you ever feel that way when you hear people's stories are like, Oh God, that never happened to me. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I was in uh, college and one of my good friends, he decided to finally come out to his parents and my college was in uh, South Georgia, about four hours away from Atlanta where we both were from. And he came out to his parents over the holidays and they kicked him out. They literally kicked him out of his house and he had nowhere to go. So my mom went to pick him up. And then I drove up from where we were, where I was in South Georgia, to like make sure that he was okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just felt so awful because like my whole coming out experience was so great. And here he is, you know, he had the uh, the courage to finally come out to his parents and speak his truth. And they kicked him out during the holidays. So there's those moments like that where I'm just like, gosh, I feel so bad. Like I had it so great. How is he now? He's great. He has a partner, um, a wonderful career. Uh, his parents, they brought him back into the fold. They now understand their ways and uh, they, uh, they're, his parents love his partner now. So it's fantastic. Now, um, being a broadcaster, uh, when you, let me start by saying this. Um, the first time I met Miguel, uh, he and I have the same agent. 
mm-hmm. and I was not out yet. And but people knew. I mean, it wasn't like you know, <clears throat> you know, some people knew who needed to know if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, I remember watching you walk into Norm's home, his beautiful home, and our agent, and you had this beautiful colorful jacket on i don't remember what jacket but i remember it was colorful mm. and it was like um it was like saying uh, there was no doubt it wasn't like <laughs> i wonder if he brought his wife you know no <laughs> um, the peacock is here yeah, yeah <laughs> yes and um from a man with red shoes believe me i i know uh, I appreciate it. um and i remember thinking to myself like wow and we talked about it and i'm like oh you're out on the air and you're like oh yeah and um, earlier, I had said, earlier that year, I had said to my uh, aunt, um, we were talking about me coming out on the air, and I said, well, I don't want to be the cliche. I don't want to be, uh, God bless Jim J. Bullock. God bless him. Yes. But I didn't want to be that. And, and nothing right. against him. I'm not saying he wasn't. Right. Even, but, you know, I don't want to be the, the stereotype there. I'm, Absolutely. I word it this way. I'm Jimmy who is gay, not gay Jimmy. Exactly. And I wasn't doing that. I wasn't right. doing the soft shoe. Like I was, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not. Biting the loafers. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> she said to me, and, I, and, I, and she says, well, would that happen? I'm like, well, most people who are getting on the show are playing that role. And I'm not right. doing that. And she mm-hmm. goes, well, what about Elvis Duran? Mm. What about Elvis? She said, well, he's out. I'm like, what? I had not heard yet. Mm. And then between Elvis and hearing how you did your show, I went, you know what? I think it's, I think it's time. So I have part of you to mm. thank for making me go, well, if this guy can do it. Oh, wow. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, um, I know if you're, any, if you're half as lucky as I've been, and I'm sure you're three times luckier, <laughs> um, with this. Um, because my fear was I'm going to come out and, and families and parents would say, how dare you? It's horrible. You know, this filth and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. What I had was the opposite. I had parents calling me going, thank you. I, I'm, I ride to school. I drive my kid to school every day. And my son or daughter is gay and they hear you. Mm. And I'm like, well, if I'm the, if I'm the poster boy for normal, we're in trouble. But... <laughs> That's my experience. How was yours, Miguel? It was very similar. Um, I've always been out on the radio because I've always said that I'm not smart enough to be someone that I'm not. Um, I'm not smart enough to like change the pronouns and to, you know, switch up the stories. I like, we tried it. um, Like when I first started doing like a top 40 morning show. And I remember, I think it was like, well, they, we had a meeting about it, you know, like, how do we handle Miguel being gay? I've and I said, those, I've been in the same type of meetings. That's <laughs> yes, where they're like, yeah. they're discussing my life. Like what straight person has to discuss? Well, how do we discuss a, her, her new boyfriend? And like, no one goes through that. It's, it's your life. You just talk about it. But at the time I said, you know, let's just let people get to know me and know me as Miguel Fuller. And then it'll just come into the conversation one day because back then and through most all of my 20s, I was just hopelessly single. And I'm like, these stories are too rich not to be able to tell. And so I got to Panama City in July of 08. In the first six months, I didn't have any friends yet. 
And so my stories were basically about me moving to a new city, being in Florida. I didn't like the beach. I wanted to lose weight. So that's who my character was. And then once uh, we got through the holidays and I found my first group of gay friends and I went out with them to like the two gay clubs we had in Panama City at the time. And I came in that morning, that Monday morning, and I was talking about it. But I was like, so I finally met this group of people and we went to the fiesta and like everyone in town knew what the fiesta meant. And I remember when the words came out of my mouth, we all (laughs) stopped in the room and we were like, and so we had some drinks and it was fun. And I was like, I'm gonna lean into it. And I was like, I tried to talk to this guy and he didn't talk back to me and it was sad, but it always happens. We got some poppers, we had some fun, you know. We went to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I always joke that if if gay people, if if straight people knew that gay clubs are exactly like they think it is, (laughs) they would be so mortified to know that it's just like, just like their nightmare or yes. dream, depending on uh, <laughs> how you look at it. Usually um, most of their dreams. <laughs> so what was everybody's reaction afterwards in the building? So, so we, we finished the segment, we turned the mics off, and then we sat to watch the phone to be like, is someone going to call? Are, are there going to be pitchforks? What's going to happen? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. We had made this big deal that like, they're gonna riot the station and advertisers are gonna pull out and it's gonna be this big dramatic moment and nothing happened. Um, That was it. It's so funny. I'm a big believer in the pitchfork and villagers mentality, especially with social media. Like, uh oh, here comes a pitchfork. And because anybody's ever been on the air who said something that maybe they went too far, I know I have, or they misheard what was said. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a woman call me very upset because I was homophobic um, because she heard me go tell a story about running into somebody at a bar. And he was like, yes, hi, daddy. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's how the guy sounded. That's if I hope it. And she goes, that's still homophobic. I'm like, but that's, you know, I'm gay. And she paused <laughs> and she says, well, it's still homophobic. I was like, okay. Like, okay. Thank you just can't win with some people. Yeah. Some people just want to be upset about something. Yes. And so you had this meeting at work, you, you know, nothing happened. Um, <clears throat> but do you have a story um, or a moment where it made you believe, because I'm a believer in the big man upstairs, um, mm-hmm. that God put you here for this moment to help someone. Absolutely. Um, when we, we were in Panama City on the previous show I was on for four years, um, and then we left, uh, to go to Tampa and then we were in Tampa for a year and then I went back to do my own show. And so I was there for, uh, two years doing my show. And I feel like that moment, because on the previous show, like I was out and I was real, but it was still because we were young and we really didn't know how to do a show. So like I was sort of that caricature of a gay person that I always said I didn't want to be. Your former co-host is going to hear you say that we didn't know how to do a show and he's going to be offended by that like it was (laughs) him. (laughs) No, we actually, there's a story we tell about how literally after like eight months of trying to do and imitating shows that we heard, it was Kramer, Holly, myself, we went to this place called the Blue Top Waffle Shop and we sat there and we all looked at each other and said, 
how do we do a morning show? Like what, how do we, I feel like we're just copying people that we've listened to. How do we do it? So we literally didn't know what we were doing. And so and that's why I was sort of like a, a, a caricature of a gay person. Well, when I went back to do my own show, it was more my real life and it was just very authentic and like, like we do now. Well, after the two years there of living my life out on the air and we went back, came back to Tampa where I am now, a social worker sent me a message and she said, I'm so sad to see you. So the social worker said that I can tell in the years that you've been here in Panama City being open and out in the radio that the gay kids are standing a little taller and they are proud of who they are and more of them feel comfortable with who they are just because you live your life openly on the radio. I about fell on the floor. How did you not cry? I did, a lot. I was just like, I didn't know. Because I mean, I, I've always said that, you know, I am not an advocate, I'm not, I don't have an agenda. I just live my life as a gay black man on the radio who deals with weight issues, who deals with family stuff. That's it. Oh, um, you know? I had um, a listener uh, call Star 94 when I worked there in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and he was very upset. He wrote, he wrote actually um, the general manager of the radio station saying that he was tired of me pushing my gay agenda of gay marriage uh, to people. And the funny thing is I had never brought up gay marriage ever once, not one time. And I right. wrote my back and I said, um, I apologize if you felt like I've tried to push an agenda. I promise you I haven't because nobody is against gay marriage more than me. I don't want to get married. <laughs> and the guy wrote me back laughing. And then now he's writing me back and forth. And my general manager said, well, you turned him around. And I'm like, I, well, I guess I did. But that is like you, we use humor. And right. um, mm -hmm. what I try to do, and I think what you've done, um, is I look at the modern family Mitch and Cam example. Right. That Mitch and Cam are, have relationship issues, not gay mm -hmm. issues. Right. And right. I think if you ask most people who watch that show, across demographics, who's your favorite characters on that show, they're going to say Mitch and Cam. Absolutely. And because we're just, I, I think that's the thing that I've, I've tried to communicate to people through the years is that, you know, Gay people deal with all the stuff that you deal with. We are online and dating and having issues, communication issues, and going to meet parents for the family for the first time. It's not like all of a sudden there's just like, you know, now granted there are some things that, you know, happen sometimes that are a little bit different. But if you're lucky. At this, right, okay. But in the same token though, like you throw out a topic about you know, have you been to a nudist colony or, you know, is anyone in a threesome? And it's all straight people that, you know, call up. So it's not like we're doing stuff that's, you know, completely out of bounds and crazy, you know? Well, no, you're absolutely right. And it's funny, um, you get the questions. Um, you know, if you were gay, the questions that you're going to be asked. And mm. it's funny about... Um, when people ask those questions, it's very, a lot of times it can be very personal questions. And I certainly am, don't mind answering personal questions because if you do that, I am going to feel free reign to ask 
few personal questions. Exactly. Um, but it's it's so funny how um, it, they would question whether you know who's the man, who's the woman. Are you guys open? And it's like you don't know me well enough to ask me that, unless you're sure. offering up your husband. And then that's <laughs> you know the I would say the biggest um, complication that the mar the marriage I'm in is about the fucking dishwasher. <laughs> the dishwasher or, or cleaning plates off. All this stuff that is very relatable to most right. any, any uh, man or woman, no matter who they're dating or married to, right? No, absolutely. And that's what I found interesting since I've been in a long-term relationship. And, you know, as we've been, you know, we're now almost three years in. And as we're talking about all, like we did this, I did this topic the other day about, um, my mom calls my boyfriend's son and my boyfriend's mom just started referring to me as son, but and I'm like, you, and he calls you daddy. So it all works. <laughs> <laughs> and I call him zaddy. <laughs> um, but I, I'm like, have these weird, like, emotional triggers. And, like, I have a really hard time saying, like, I love you. Like, I can say love ya, but I have a hard time saying I love you. And so now we did this whole topic about, you know, like, I don't know what to call his mom and dad. Like, do I now call them mom and dad? Or do I call them by their first names? Or do I call them Mr. and Mrs. their last name? Like, how, I don't know how to refer to this. And it's not a gay issue. Then we had so many people call in and say, oh, my gosh, I'm the same way. I have this emotional trigger block. I feel the same way. And to me, that was a perfect example of like what we experience as gay people is exactly what straight people experience. And it's not this like, ooh, you got a third head. It's crazy. It's like, it's the same. What Jerry Seinfeld said, uh, John, Jerry Seinfeld said the best thing about being gay is you instantly double your wardrobe. And I believe that. <laughs> My husband wears the same size shoe. It's perfect. <laughs> um, so you, you're on the air on... And what's going on right now, um, especially since um, George, poor George Floyd, and I've noticed on your Facebook page, uh, and I wondered about this, because I right now have, am more political than I've ever been, ever, right. about topics that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And about, um, I'm, a big, I'm a big, big believer in being on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll tell this quick story. I, it's, anybody knows me knows I'm into presidents, and I read a lot of books about presidents. Mm -hmm. And LBJ, when he got the Civil Rights Act passed, called these senators, and he's like, do you want to be on the right side of history? Now, you have a guy who a lot of people could say is racist, LBJ. Right, right. And not the most progressive thinker um, of his time. Uh, but, right. But passed these monumental... Uh, bills that changed or or spearheaded them, I should say, not uh, passed them. But he said to uh, one of the senators, how do you want your grandbabies to remember you? Mm. And I look at people and I see things they post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and I'm like, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be feel shame? Like earlier we talked about those pictures from the riots and, and sit-ins and, and demonstrations back in the 50s and 60s. Do you want your face and your um, family in a situation that you're humiliated for the rest of your life? And that's what it's going to look like. And that's certainly what it's going to look like. And I saw um, 
and I made a comment on, I think one of your posts, I put a, a GIF or a GIF, whatever you call it. Um, <laughs> maybe they were removing a Confederate soldier and you posted something about that. Am I right? Was that what they removed down in Florida? Um, no, uh, it could, I've been posting a lot of stuff okay. recently, sort of like you, I don't remember. Well, it was something like that. And, right. and this is your public page. Mm-hmm. And this woman said something about, well, it's historic or something. And you're like, nope, get out. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember. Okay. Uh-huh. So yeah. how, have you heard any um, pushback about what's been going on lately with the demonstrations and, and you know, all Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and all that, all that. Have you heard uh, kickback from listeners? Um, no, well, a, a, a little bit, yes. Um, I've always sort of been very, um, because growing up in the South, being black and gay, um, and being around a lot of conservative That's really, people. You're hitting the hat check of, uh, the hat trick of. <laughs> <laughs> you were Jewish, you'd be all in all hell. <laughs> like, literally, I'm like, my company, any company I've worked for, I like check all your EEO requirements. <laughs> like, literally, you're welcome. I should get a bonus for this, okay? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you're in the military? I mean, at one point, you'd have been, please. Seriously. Uh, but yeah, so I've always... Like, my whole uh, stance on air has always been like, listen, if you're curious about my politics, message me. I'll tell you. I'm not shy about it. I'm very vocal about it. But our show is a place of distraction. But sometimes when things are just too real and it's too important, you can't. And um, we actually got into this with my company uh, maybe three weeks ago where this big business partner that we worked with, um, it was a club and they own like three restaurants and we got a lot of business from them and uh, our brand of our morning show and their businesses were very tied together. We did a lot of events with them. Well, one of the owners after George Floyd passed away in the protest and then the, the looting and the rioting happened, one of the owners started going on social media and saying, if they come to my business, I will shoot them. And then people were like, do you really mean that? And he was like, no, no, I will kill them. I will. And he doubled down on what he said. Then all these other screenshots of like just awful things that he was calling black people and gay people um, were starting to pop up. And I was just like, cause like literally we were doing our show, we're doing our podcast and I didn't have my phone on me. And I look at my phone and I've got like 30 texts, 50 Instagram messages. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? What do you think about this? So we got on the call later that day with our management team and they were like, you know, well, we need to come up with a plan and this and that. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, listen, I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble and I'm the most agreeable person. I am the the company man. I will jump through hoops, whatever we need to do to get the money, to get the ratings, whatever. I'm a team player. Let's do it. But this is where I draw the line in the sand. I will not be a part of anything. And if we accept a dollar from them, if we do anything with them, my name, this brand will not be associated with it. And they were like, we agree. We agree. And who do you work for? What's the uh, company? Cox Media Group. Oh, you are in, uh, for people who don't know radio companies, uh, Miguel is working for one of the two best of the radio companies there is. Yes. Um, that is a wonderful company that I would be proud to call a uh, boss. 
Some of them aren't uh, worth a lot, but yours, that's the right <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, Hubbard is another one. I'm going to mention them because that's who I do uh, Out With Jimmy with. They're, um, mm. I guess, the distributor, you'd want to say, and it's a, a great company, another great company. Um, but you must um, have been pretty proud to know that you're working for the right company when they said to you, we're not going to force you to do anything. Absolutely. And they said, we don't want anything to do with them. We're done. We'll sever all ties. Um, because, you know, there's another part of that is, and I understand, believe me, I'm a company man. Um, and I have done things and, I, you know, I've had it come in when my dad died and I didn't bring it up because so, I had to do the show and then go. Or I had was having surgery and I went for half the show so I didn't miss the whole show. I mean, that kind of thing right. where mm -hmm. that's what you do. Right. But there are times that you have to take a stand because you – um, have to look at your brothers and sisters in the face mm -hmm. as we would have to look at uh, um, a lot of us with Chick-fil-A had to look at our brothers and sisters and go, mm -hmm. wait a minute. I like waffle fries as much as anybody, believe you me. Yes, ma'am. But I can't in good conscience eat here. Now no. I would say, and I will defend them because I remember when the pulse uh, shooting happened, that on Sunday they brought all those food for the volunteers and fed everybody. And I'm like, you know what? You're making it, you're, you're trying. And I guess right. Mr. Kathy literally shined the shoes the other day. Did you see that? When no. So he was saying how um, he was on with a, a minister and I, I don't know who the African-American gentleman was, but his thing was that we need to acknowledge what happened. And he says, you need to be willing to get and shine their shoes to show that, and he did. He literally got on his knees and shined this mm. guy's shoes. And I'm like, well, okay, you're, tr you're, you're trying. And that's it. Right. It's, um, and I'm getting off course here, but I want to get back to the thing that we all have to look at, whether it's our families right. or people like us who have, who have been, well, I mean, Jesus Christ, you look at everything that's happened to African-Americans in 400 years here in the United States. Mm -hmm. I know you can't, there's a time you have to draw a line in sand and go, listen, I, I can't do this, right? right? You have to. Absolutely. I mean, and I sort of did that yesterday. Um, <clears throat> I've seen because, you know, I'm from the South, I've done my, most of my radio, all of my radio career, except for one year, has been in Florida. And if you've not lived in Florida before, like you, you hear about Orlando and Miami, you hear Tampa sometimes, Jacksonville, where like usually anything in the panhandle, it's just, it's basically lower Alabama. And the people who live there will say the same thing. Well, I still have a lot of followers from that area. And I've always through the years, I've seen like conservative posts or things that were kind of like, mm, that's a little uncomfortable and I don't comment, I just let it go. But then the other day I saw this woman post just the most vile, disgusting post about, you know, why can't we say white lives matter? Why can't we have, uh, or no, blacks get everything. They get BET. Uh, they have historically oh, black oh, colleges. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you guys get one channel. We get one. No, what, what else did she say? You, you get B, BT, okay, yeah. Uh, historically black colleges, yes. HBCUs, uh, Black Miss America. Um, we have our own magazines. 
Um, so why can't we have that? Why would people call me racist if we tried to do uh, white entertainment television? And I was like, are you si- like, are you dumb? Like, literally, are you dumb? So literally, I wrote on her post, I said, you've got to be kidding me. And so then, and I, w- I was just so mad. I took a screenshot of her post, and I put them on my Instagram, on my Facebook, and I said, this is my line. I can't allow this anymore. If you are going to spew this sort of, and excuse my language, bullshit, I can't handle it anymore. I'm done. I will unfriend you. Because there's something, like, if you don't have the same political beliefs as me, that's fine. I love political debates. Let's talk about it. Because that's how we come up with better solutions. Because we both see things differently. We both want this country to be great. We just think we should go about it in a different way. But if you're spewing hate, there's no room in my tribe for that. And I don't want you here. So, well, that's good that you haven't really heard a lot negative from the audience about any of us, right? No, there's like one guy who, um, you know, I've been way more vocal about those sort of things on my Instagram and my social media. And there, every time I would post like a resource on, um, you know, if you're white and you want to be an ally, if you're not a black person, you know, here's some resources, here's some books to read, movies to watch, um, things to donate to. Miguel, talk about that. T- tell the movies and the, and, and the books and so forth. Absolutely. So um, one of the, the movies that I think is just sort of everyone should watch is 13th on Netflix. And it's about uh, the criminal justice system and how it's basically like a new form of slavery. Um, I think that's a great one, 13th, uh, When They See Us. It's about what they call the Central Park Five, I believe, um, yes. in the late 80s, early 90s, and that whole story. And just basically telling about how Black men are profiled and how the criminal justice system, it is not fair to everyone. Um, and then I think just reading uh, books by Black authors about the Black experience, uh, Toni Morrison, um, anything by Maya Angelou are such great resources. James Baldwin, um, Zora Neale Hurston um, from like the Harlem Renaissance era. Anything that sort of helps you. And there's so many more that I, I don't even know about, you know. Um, I think a great book also for white people to read that some of my friends are reading. I haven't read it. Um, it's called uh, White Fragility. I think I've been hearing some great things about that. So those are some great resources for people that are like, maybe I'm a low racist or maybe I'm not racist, but I have these feelings and I'm not really sure what to do with it. Um, those are some great resources to just sort of start with. Right now, what's great is if you go on Netflix, on Apple TV, I believe on Hulu as well, they have the Black Lives Matter sections where they have uh, just a, a litany of movies that you can watch about the Black experience. And I will say too, don't just watch movies that deal with like police brutality or uh, things that are like, oh, look at the, the, the sad black poor people. Um, watch, you know, because then it's just like, oh my God, am I these poor black people? But like, like watching Insecure on HBO of just what it's like to just be a 20 something, you know, young woman, young black woman in America, you know, just those movies and TV shows that you would just sort of skip by and be like, 
Eh, I, don't, I don't really know. Those are black people. I don't know. <laughs> you know, he, he, here's the good thing. There is a, a silver lining in all of this. Is right now, I'm seeing an awakening of my white friends, um, other people of color that aren't black, that are now starting to delve into the black experience. So movies and TV shows that I would say, oh my gosh, y'all should watch this. Or um, like when I went, when the movie Harriet, about Harriet Tubman came out, I didn't tell any of my friends about it because I was like, well, nobody probably wants to go see this. So I'm going to go by myself and see. And I went and I sat there and I cried and watched it by myself. But now white people, other people of color are diving into it. And they're seeing this outrage. They're seeing the, what we as black people already knew. And we watch these movies and we talk about it amongst ourselves. And now other people are finally starting to have their eyes open and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. And black people were just like, we've been trying to tell you. <laughs> if you could go back and give advice to that little high school kid who had a little mini breakdown and had to tell somebody out loud that you were gay, what would you tell that kid? Be yourself. And if people don't agree with who you are, then you don't need them in your life. Mm. Trust yourself, trust your gut, and don't try to be someone that you think you need to be. Be you and be authentically you. If you're somebody white who's listening right now and you want to be mm -hmm. an advocate, what could you do in your everyday life to be a better understanding and to actually help the world be better? Start to delve into what the black experience is. Empathize. Don't just go, oh, I have a black friend. Well, yeah, you have a black friend, but you probably have not sat and actually said, hey, when have you been racially profiled before? Or what have your experiences been like in the workplace? Or what injustices have you faced? Um, reading the books about white fragility, understanding privilege, uh, advocating for uh, people of color in your business, calling out your racist family members or coworkers, because this is the thing. Yes, you are not racist, but how many times have you been at Thanksgiving or a, a, a group family dinner and Uncle Brad, or excuse me, it's never Uncle Brad, it would be Uncle Bob, you know, who is like, well, these Negro children just running around. We got a new black person moving in. And everyone kind of like awkwardly like took a sip of their drink. And then your mom tried to change the subject real quick. Engage Uncle Bob and say, that's racist and it's wrong. And you should not be saying that. Well, and then Uncle Bob's like, I ain't racist. I love driving Miss Daisy. It's like, no, no. <laughs> you missed the point. Have you been racially profiled? Not um, like driving like that. But I have before experienced the look of being in a store and they're looking at you and they're not looking at the other people and you're like, I, I'm, why are you following me? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm, no. Or, um, you know, driving in a nice car and you get the look of where that car come from? How you afford that? <laughs> you know the look. You know um, the look. Uh, it, uh, that is something... Um, 
that if you've never had to experience that on a day-to-day basis, or the other one, um, when Trayvon Martin uh, got murdered, I talked to a woman I worked with, and um, you know she's had to have that talk, which white moms, I never had that talk. My sister with her sons never had to have that talk. I'm sure my husband's a mom and his brothers never had to have that talk. Did your mom have that talk with you? Absolutely. What'd she say? When you go into the store, you never put your hands in your pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't put a hood over your face. Uh, you always smile, especially if it's at night and you're out somewhere. Um, you always sort of have your keys jingling so people can hear you coming so they don't get nervous. Um, when the police officer pulls you over, already go ahead and have your wallet right there so you don't have to go grab it somewhere. Keep your hands at 10 and 2. Um, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Uh, don't talk back. Those are the things that it's like a little checklist you go through in your head, but it's just so second nature. You don't even think about it. It's just what you learned growing up black. Are you shocked that most white people don't know that? Yeah. You always get the same look when you tell that story that I'm giving you now, like right. mortified. Right. Yeah. And they're like, wait, what? You have to think about all that. And it's like, Yes, but that's because you never asked. Well, Miguel, I'm so thankful that you joined me here today. You are a friend, somebody I look up to. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm five foot six. I uh, <laughs> make the world a better place. So thank you very much. And thank you, sir, for always being so kind and so gracious and having these tough conversations because. This is how we move the ball forward is by having these conversations and talking about it and realizing there's a reason why we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So thank you. How can people find you on social media? At Miguel Fuller, M-I-G-U-E-L-F-U-L-L-E-R on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you, my friend. And Scruff? Oh, that's a different story. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. That's kink.com. Oh, wow. Good for you. Uh, that was Miguel Fuller, and thank you to Miguel, and thank you for listening here to Out with Jimmy. Uh, if you go to Apple Podcasts, click subscribe, give us a nice review, as many stars as you possibly can. It really does make a difference. I want to thank Julia Ziegler from WTOP for allowing us to work with them on Out with Jimmy. And remember, you'll never know when the last time you'll be able to tell somebody you love them. So go ahead and do it. <laughs>